While attending college for musical theater, Harris Anderson began to perform stand-up. After moving to Vancouver in 2013, he began to perform regularly at clubs and shows around the city. He's appeared at JFL Northwest multiple times and has been called one of the most exciting and up-and-coming comics on the scene. His debut comedy album, Above and Beyond, is available right now from Vancouver independent record label 604 Records. Harris, nice to see you. Thanks for having me, Richard. Uh, so let's talk about the record. It's called Above and Beyond. Does that imply that there is material on it that is above and beyond what we might usually hear on comedy <laughs> albums? That would, that would, I guess that is what, what is implied. Um, <laughs> is that what you meant to imply? No, it actually came, that, that was a line from a bit that actually didn't make it onto the album that I used to do about um, going for, for job interviews. Comics, comics always have day jobs when they're, yeah. when they're starting out. And um, I, I, I would actually get asked the question uh, a bunch of times in job interviews, like, when was the last time you went like above and beyond to, right. Right, and I always right, just thought right. it was such a silly question because it was like, you know, I'm... I'm trying to get a cashier job. Yeah, we're going to be folding shirts in the exactly. store. Nothing wrong with that, but it's hard to go really above and beyond. Exactly. There's situation. only so much a man can do, you know. And you had a lot of jobs, and there's there's a couple of things here. Uh, we can talk about the retail jobs because everyone's had those. Anyone who's doing this, but you also um, you worked in theater, and you started off doing like historical reenactment theater. Oh, kind of. I did uh, my first gig out out of theater school was a um, uh, it was in Rossland, BC, and it was kind of uh, they do a show for tourists there, which is kind of historically themed. So it's done in this. Um, it was actually a really fun gig. Um, I'd, I'd highly recommend it for any actors <laughs> in the area who 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 were looking for a fun thing to do over the summer. But it was um, it's done in this very old like uh, very historic theater, and um, it was just it was it was a good experience. It was. It is kind of historical, but it was like playing fast and loose with it. It was something to do in in town for the tourists, and and it got you sort of used to being in front of people, right? Is that was that yeah, one I, of the upshots of it? Yeah, I think so. Any kind of any kind of performing experience is good. I think when you're when you're starting out, so I'm sure it was a big help in some way. All right, tell me about being a glass installer. Yeah, I I for about um, about a year I guess I, I worked with my my uncle who's a a glazier yeah. the, the the term for someone who installs glass and uh, that's that's a tough gig um, anyone who can make a living in um, construction or like working with your hands I mean yeah. it's a t it's a tough tough job I have a lot of respect yeah. for anyone who can I can do it you know. Um, it was it was a good it was a good gig. And he dropped a quarter. Wasn't there a story that he <laughs> that he tried to freak you out somehow with a quarter? He did describe in detail. How well, we were working on this house. He's a he's a he's a trickster, and uh, my uncle Glenn, and uh, he we were working on a uh, this big mansion in um, just outside of Victoria, BC, and it had a glass ceiling. Right. And uh, we had to go up on this on the roof, the glass roof rather, and. Um, we had to go up there to fix something, and it was a very strange sensation looking down about 50 feet and being able to see through the floor. Yeah, yeah. And I don't like heights. I'm not a heights person at all. And um, my, you know, we were loaded up with stuff. I was carrying toolboxes, and I was making my way across, and uh, uh, I heard this crack, like the sound of glass uh, um, breaking. So I, I jumped and flattened myself out. And uh, my uncle had dropped a quarter on right. the glass, which sounds exactly like glass breaking. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, terrifying. It is. Terrifying. It was. And is that the last of the kind of crappy jobs that you had? I mean, 
jobs that weren't stand up? Um, oh no, no. I, I still. I mean, I still. I still work. Uh, I'm a dog walker right now. I mean, oh yeah. Yeah, I've worked in grocery stores. I worked at Starbucks. I mean, it's. Um, is it important? Is it important to have a job that you can leave? With short notice, in case you get an audition, in case something happens that all of a sudden you got to go, yeah, I'm out. I think so. Because your think first it... priority is stand up, right? Yeah, I'm also I'm also kind of get, getting into acting. I'm just right. starting to book little things here and there, so it is important. And uh, I do have a flexible day job, and I think that's something that comics or or actors or musicians, it's like if you can find a good flexible day job, then it makes life a lot easier. Yeah. So you grew up in BC. Mm-hmm. Grew up in Vancouver? No. I was born in Vancouver. I grew up in uh, Tawasson, small town outside of Vancouver. So Tawasson doesn't sound like a hotbed for uh, stand-up comedy. No, there was no comedy there. <laughs> and, and so who were the comics then that made an impression on you? Did you grow up in a house where your dad was cracking jokes around the, the dining room table? Or how, how did you get an interest in it? My parents both have a great sense of humor. And um, my dad... Loves the, loves the golden age of television. Right. I mean, like all the all the guys like Sid Caesar and Phil Silvers, all those guys. And my mom uh, has a real. I think she instilled a real respect in me for people who can make other people laugh. Right. She was, you know, it, 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 when we were a comedian came on that was really funny. It was kind of like, it was, we're all going to sit and watch this yeah. now because this is something special and. Um, I remember when I was a kid, like Jim Carrey was everyone's superhero. Everyone my age, everyone wanted to be Jim Carrey. And that was a kind of a big thing. And also uh, Robin Williams and Aladdin. So I was, it was always like, I always knew that I loved comedy and, and some, and I think when Just for Laughs was, uh, was on the comedy, when the comedy network debut, it was a big thing. Right. And you could go home and at 3.30, you could watch festival highlights from Just for Laughs and, uh, or comedy at Club 54 and, all these stand-up shows, and so I started to become really interested in it. Yeah, the 90s were kind of a golden era for that sort of thing. I mean, everyone's got a special now. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their hour-long special. But for stand-up shows, like, you know, the ones you just mentioned, they were they were everywhere at yeah. that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was, the Comedy Network was coming out was a big thing. It was, um, it was like, just fun. It had never been like funneled directly into your. I can't remember seeing stand up on television before that, really. Yeah, or I not mean, much of it. I, I remember seeing because I'm much older than you, but I remember seeing you know a, a variety shows. There was always you mm-hmm. know there'd be a stand up comedian on the Ed Sullivan Show or on the Sunny and Cher Show or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, I had never really seen any stand up comedy live. That was a that came much later. But right. on TV, I used to see it. Uh huh. Yeah. Totally. And and Jonathan Winters hit a nerve with you somehow. Yes. Yeah. My dad, as I as I mentioned, my dad loves, you know, the com- the comics of the fifties and the early and the early sixties. And we actually, when I was getting really into comedy, um, they they actually rented a DVD from the library, which I think was a documentary about him, which I was I believe called it was on the loose or something like that. And it was just this documentary, kind of this this look at his work and everything. And I just remember it really resonated me with mm-hmm. me on a, a deep level, something about him. I, I'm not sure what, but exactly. I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. But I, th- I, I think that for my money, he was the, the funniest man that ever lived personally. He just had worlds inside of him. And he didn't start off to be a comic. I mean, that was something that came kind of organically with him, right? Yeah. I mean, the story is that he was, you know, he had a family to support. He was living out in Ohio and, you know, he he won a talent competition there and said, I think I might be good at this. And 
you know, he went to New York with, I think it was like 50 bucks or something and yeah. was there for how a couple of years and, um, and, um, you know, it, he might not have made it. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting when you mentioned Jonathan Winters, you said you grew up loving Robin Williams. Robin mm-hmm. Williams loved Jonathan Winters. There's connections Absolutely. all around here. Mm-hmm. And, and in your style, you do a lot of voices. You do uh, yeah. that sort of thing and telling jokes. And, it, and it, it's a, there's a direct line back to those guys. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. I mean, I definitely, I'm, I love, uh, I love that style. Mm-hmm. I, I just have always loved people who are, uh, who who are comics, but also performers. I like the idea of comedy, stand-up comedy as a performance, and you know it is. You're it is. You're every comic's an actor, and it's yeah, yeah. you're doing a comedic monologue. And I just like, I, I love those guys for what they could transform it into. You know, I'm speaking with uh, Harris Anderson. The new album, it's a comedy album called Above and Beyond, is available right now from uh, 604 Records. Um, so you saw those guys. It's one thing to see Jonathan Winters and watch the documentary and love Robin Williams. It's another thing to stand up on stage and start telling jokes. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that, because I know that you went to theater school and you did a lot of musicals and things like that. Yeah. It's a different kind of thing, Very uh, different, but it yeah. gets you you know, used to being in front of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I... I I was surprised. I thought it might have been slightly arrogant, but I thought, well, you know, I've performed before. I've done theater, musical theater, and everything. Like this is just another type of performance, mm-hmm. and you know, it won't be so bad. But it, it's it is um, it is performance stand up, but it is also like as you just mentioned, totally different. Mm-hmm. It's 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 um, I don't know how to describe it really. It's like. Well, there's no place to hide, I think. And, and exactly. you know, some of the shows that you did, you know, Guys and Dolls, Les Mis, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Superstar, stuff like that, you know, you're not the only person on stage. Yeah. 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 There is something There is something to be said for, <clears throat> excuse me, camaraderie and everything. Yeah. And uh, there's there's not much camaraderie when you're on stage yeah, alone. Yeah. yeah you're, which is, but it's also, you know, a, a feeling of, of real accomplishment when you, when you have a successful when you have a successful set because it's like, oh, that was, that was all me. That was, so you do get to kind of rest on your laurels a bit when that happens, but it's lonely when it doesn't go well. Were those first shows terrifying? Uh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I wanted to do stand up since I was 12 and I didn't <laughs> work up the courage to get on stage till I was 23. Right. And you know, there's people who, um, you know, even Canadian comics that are coming up, people like uh, like Sophie Buttle and Mace Galoni, very funny people. And, the, you know, they were on stage when they were 14 or Dave 15. Dave Chappelle on stage yeah, when he was exactly. 12 or 13 yeah, or something like you're, that. Yeah, you're Eddie Murphy's, guys yeah. like that. That just blows my mind. Yeah. I can't even imagine uh, <laughs> yeah. having, the, having the confidence to, to try stand-up at that age. Yeah. yeah, Wanda Sykes told me that she used to sneak Dave uh, Dave Chappelle into clubs, mm. um, and it wasn't so much sneaking, but she'd say, "Well, I'm his aunt, and and uh, he's with me." And when he was there, then he would sort of maneuver himself to get on stage. But he was only like maybe 14 years old when he was doing this. Yeah, yeah. I, I cannot imagine a more you know kind of self possessed kid knowing what they wanted to do at that age and getting up in front of a uh, of a crowd and, and telling jokes. Absolutely. Uh, when we come back, we continue the conversation with Harris Anderson. We're talking about uh, his beginnings as a stand up comic. Uh, we're also talking about Above and Beyond. It's his new comedy album, and it's available on the record label 604 records. Uh, When we come back, we'll ask, what was the first joke that you ever told that got a laugh from an audience? Stay with us. 
Harris Anderson is my guest. His album is called Above and Beyond. It's available from 604 Records, an independent record label in Vancouver. It's a comedy album, and uh, it's it's meeting you. You are a young man. How old are you? I'm 30. You're 30. You're a young guy. You are a clean-cut man. <laughs> the album isn't as much. I don't think the album has has moments that that looking at you there's a there's a, a difference between the way you look and and some of the material. Uh huh. Yeah. I've I've just I've kind of just started to hear comments like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I do. I do kind of have. Um, I think a dark sense of humor. Um, I I think I don't think of myself as a, a dark person, yeah. but I I do kind of. Um, I've always, yeah, I've always kind of, I think my, my family, we kind of have a dark sense of humor, mm-hmm. like kind of like gallows humor. Um, <laughs> they're all lovely people. <laughs> um, but I think, I'm not sure exactly where it comes from. My mom is British and I think, and then so I was, I was raised on a lot of British comedy. I think there's a lot of like fatalism and British right. comedy and things like that. So I think that's probably where I, I think, I think American and Canadian comedy is a little more optimistic. But, so it was good <laughs> to have like a mix of both. Um, but yeah, there is kind of that that side to me, I guess, as well. Do you remember the first time you got a laugh um, on stage? Or? Either way, like or if there's a great story about either, uh, either off stage or on stage. Mm. Well, I started out. I mean, I started out kind of. I, I didn't really in grade school. I, I think like grade one through two, one, two, and three. I didn't really know. Well, grade one and two, I didn't really know who I was or what I was doing right. in relation to other kids. And then I just kind of started uh, just like throwing myself off chairs and stuff like that. <laughs> like anything to get any kind of approval from those those those, those kids. <laughs> so I, I kind of remember that. But I, oh, I remember the, the first time I actually like, got a laugh and I felt good about it in terms of like in front of other people was my um, my grade four teacher. It was a while ago. Grade five teacher Mrs. Hoff. Um, there was a talent show coming up, and she said, "I want you and uh, this other this other boy to do this this sketch, the Who's on First sketch, right. the famous right. sketch." I, yeah, I didn't Adam know it exactly. Yeah. And it was like, "Oh, okay." So we did it, and uh, you know, people. I was surprised that people were laughing. It was it was a, and it was such a good feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just read it, you know, and it was. I remember that experience a lot. I'm very thankful to her. I never. I never got to thank her for the that. The next album should be dedicated to, to Mrs. Mrs. Hoff. Hoff. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, there is something about a room full of people laughing that mm-hmm. sounds when you're when you're the person that has made them laugh. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a dopamine hit. It's yeah. it's. I imagine it's it's comparable to, you know, a crowd cheering at a rock concert or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's 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 a great feeling. Yeah. What what were the first stand up shows like for you? Because everyone takes a while to find their feet. Yeah, yeah. And I think I'm still I'm still finding it. I mean, I'm still I'm still kind of just starting out the way I mm-hmm. think of myself at least. Um, but the, the first shows, I mean, the first show I was lucky in that I had a bunch of friends came down. My girlfriend at the time came down. She was very supportive, and I tried it, and it was was very stiff and and shy and scared. And um, but I, I got a couple of laughs. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a I didn't blow the doors off the place, but it was, it was acceptable enough that I, I said, oh, "Okay, I'll come back and try again." And then, but um, in the beginning, you kind of uh, you kind of throw everything you can at the wall, 
And that's kind of a freeing feeling because I remember one of the, in the first couple of years when I was starting, I just I would just write a completely new set and just do it that night. And it was right. like, oh, I don't have any material <laughs> to fall back on, so I may as well just do this. But, um, you know, the horrific shows, they always pop up. I had one a couple of months ago. They always pop up along the way somewhere. Yeah. I'm speaking with Harris Anderson. The new album is called Above and Beyond. You never know when you're going to bomb. No. And that's the thing. And I guess maybe that's what, what sort of keeps that, that edge alive inside you. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's something to be learned from bombing and something to be learned from failure. Mm-hmm. As a comic, what do you take away from it? I think that it gives you, once it happens to you and then you wake up the next morning and you realize that your your arms and legs and everything is still in the same place and that you're, <laughs> you're, you're physically unharmed and um, you kind of realize, oh, I can go through that. I can go through being embarrassed in front of, you know, dozens or hundreds of people and yeah. I can get up and continue with my life the next day, which for me was a really good thing because, you know, I was I was very... Um, I was terrified of being embarrassed in front mm-hmm. of people. I'm sure lots of people are. Most people are terrified of being embarrassed in front of others. So when that happens, most to me, people don't choose to be a stand-up comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where the 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 probability of that happening is a little higher <laughs> than it yes. might be for other people. Yes. So that happened to me, and it still happens. <laughs> it still happens on occasion. Is is a is it's an edifying experience. Yeah, I mean, Amy Schumer says that. Uh, she, it, it, the, 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 the wisdom used to be, well, it's the audience. I mean, the audience just didn't get it. And Amy Schumer says, no, it's not the audience that didn't get it. It's mm-hmm. me. I changed the word, the wording of a joke, or I did something that just made them not respond to it. And she sort of, you know, reflects it back on her rather than, than blaming mm-hmm. the audience or whoever else. Mm-hmm. I like to blame the audience fully. <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't get it. They just don't no, understand no, it's, me. It, yeah, that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. It's, um, you know, some, sometimes it's, it's just a combination. I mean, like I've had, you know, I've had sets that have started to go south because someone drops a glass in the back and it right. distracts everyone. Yeah. And then it takes a while for everyone to get focused again. And then, but it's too late. You've lost them. And that yeah. was right before your punchline. So that bit's gone. It's yeah. interesting. I, I, I go to, uh, a, a place in New York called the Comedy Cellar. Whenever I'm mm. in, in in New York, it's old. It's got really low ceilings. It's mm-hmm. dark. You're rammed in there like sardines, and it's the best comedy room mm-hmm. because it is built for comedy. There's no distractions. There's no. There's nothing to look at. Mm-hmm. It is uh, uh, the the people that have, are running it and working there have been there forever, yeah. and and they understand not to be. Uh, distracting to what's happening on stage, whatever it is, but it's the best comedy room because of that. They understand that any little thing can throw a set off completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I'd love to visit that place. I've heard, obviously. I mean, it's legendary. It's yeah. legendary, and it's worth it's worth a visit. Uh huh. It's worth a visit. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Harris Anderson. We're talking about his career. We're talking about above and beyond uh, his new comedy album. It's available from. The uh, Vancouver record label 604 Records, and you can find it anywhere. Is it available as a physical album as well as a download, or is it a download? And Yeah, people can order physical uh, copies through the uh, 604 uh, yep. website. Yeah, but I, I think it seems like most people download or stream yep. these days. Yeah, Spotify, all the usual suspects. All iTunes. the usual suspects. Uh, we'll be back with Harris Anderson. Stay with us. 
Harris Anderson is my guest. His new album is called Above and Beyond. It's available from Vancouver Independent Record Label 604 Records. And as we were just talking in the last segment, you can order it from the website as a, as a physical album or download it from wherever you download music and comedy and all that stuff, but mm. do it legally. I uh, used <laughs> to do a lot of impressions and you don't so much anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 yeah, when I started out, I used to do, I used to do them and, um, but I, I was only, it was only stuff that I guess you would see like older impressionists do. Like I could never really do, I could never come up with new impressions. It was right. always stuff, it's always, always stuff like, you know, uh, Jack Nicholson or Morgan Freeman. Or, yeah, yeah. People that have been around yeah, for a for long ages time. Yeah, you're not doing a, a Harry Styles impression. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so right. I had like a couple of comics that say, you know, like your impressions are good, but you're not really doing anyone new. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, so I kind of stopped doing them, I guess. Um, but you still do voices for mm-hmm. your own characters. How do you develop those? I think it kind of just – sometimes I have an idea. Sometimes it comes naturally on stage. Uh, I, a lot of the times it's just me kind of – I mean, I probably look like a crazy person if someone could hear me walking down the street. Right. But, uh, or could hear – if someone could hear me then. But, um, yeah, I just kind of – I like playing around – I've always liked playing around my voice. Even as a kid, I used to like – I used to do like voices in my rooms for – in my room for hours right. just – I just love the idea of the the voice as like an instrument and how I'm a huge fan of of guys like Tom Waits uh, who can really kind of explore all the areas of their voice mm-hmm. and they have like he has you know different characters for each song yeah. different personas uh, I just always loved that and to me it kind of really um, for me personally it really like kind of like adds like texture to to a set or or a joke it just adds a little bit of an extra kind of uh, sensation to it, yeah. and it is kind of it's freeing. It feels kind of it, when it when it when it doesn't work, it's the it's the worst thing <laughs> on the planet. It's when if you if you like fully invest and you're like doing I don't know a joke where you're like Mickey Mouse or something, right? And no one laughs when they're supposed to. You just feel like oh, I'm the biggest idiot on the planet. Yeah. What kind of sad clown am I <laughs> that I'm doing this, that I'm doing this in front of these people? Yeah, but when it works, it really hits, and it's it's good. And do you think that harkens back? I mean, that's you know your influence from Jonathan Winters and that. Mm-hmm. But you went to theater school, and you did yeah. uh, you you did lots of work there. Do you think that the idea of building a character within a joke comes from that? Maybe I I, I mean I would usually get cast as like kind of the the weird sidekick or something. And <laughs> um, but I was happy to play those parts. I I've always liked kind of. I just liked anything that kind of like that allows me to kind of like distort or play with like my voice mm-hmm. or whatever, and um, yeah. So I've always kind of been interested in that arena. And when you started, so the second year of college, you start doing stand up. Mm-hmm. What was it about that world? Because you had already been on stage doing musicals and shows, but what was it about stand up that made you say, you know what, I belong here? I think it was kind of a. I don't. I don't know. I. <laughs> I don't know if I if I feel like I belong now even, <laughs> but um, I I know what, it, what attracted me to it was the sense of accomplishment. We I do this on my own yeah. and I kind of live and die by the sword, uh, and to the the sense of danger, which wasn't really in, it isn't in theater. I'm not, I don't think that theater is not as hard as comedy mm-hmm. or or vice versa. 
but it, there is kind of an element of danger where it's like I think an audience will make allowances if they're at a, a play or something and there is well, a mistake. And, and they're not sitting drinking, generally speaking. They're, you know, you uh, can get true. a drink in a lot of theaters now, but they're not sitting around drinking saying, amuse me. There's no, yeah, yeah there's little audience participation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one, yeah, no one during Oklahoma is going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is really, really bad, Oklahoma. <laughs> so there is, there is that as well. Well, you talk about danger. A bartender threatened to beat you up one time. Yes, yeah. A female, uh, a lady bartender uh, said she was going to, thought I was uh, taking cracks at, at bartenders. I wasn't. And uh, <laughs> she said she was going to come on stage and uh, assault me. Did she, and did she come anywhere near? No, she didn't. No, I managed it, to defuse it. And was this it. in a comedy club? No, this no. was in a bar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Some well, because, at a bar. Yeah, because, you know, it's funny. If you watch shows like Crashing or any of those things, you see that, you know, you think of comedy clubs being a comedy club. People sit, they're all facing one way and they're watching. But if, if there's all these pop-up shows and, and other kinds of bars and stuff mm -hmm. that do comedy that aren't meant for it. And I guess that's where this was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at first for a guy at my level, comedy clubs are kind of like, are kind of like a treat when you get to do them. Right. Um, you know, I'd say like... 80% of the shows that I, that I do are in bars or lounges or places, kind of like pop-up shows. And right. Yeah, sometimes it's not ideal. I mean, <laughs> I do you, are there gigs like, I, I've, I've known loads of comics who say, oh yeah, like I'll do a, a, a show at, you know, an old folks home mm -hmm. or something like that, which, I mean, listen, you know, God love you for doing them, but it, it, it's it's a different kind of audience and it's it's a, a different kind of thing. Do you do things like that? Yeah, I did. Um, I performed in someone's living room. Really? Last month at a Christmas party. <laughs> wow. It, yeah, that was so not... How does, uh, yeah, how does that go? Tell me about that. Well, <laughs> we drove out there, another comic that I was uh, opening for, and oh, uh, you were like, there, there was a headliner and an opening act yeah. in the living room. Oh yeah, the guy went all out. Yeah, it was some guy who owned a, a personal training uh, firm. Wow! And uh, he brought us out there and like, you know, we he's like gave us a karaoke mic and he's like, you guys go in the corner and do your jokes. Oh man! And then uh, I went up and uh, like it was like all his employees were personal trainers and right. they were all like. A lot of them were like very pretty ladies, yeah. and they were these like these toned, like gorgeous women, and they were sitting there just looking so unimpressed at this <laughs> this nervous looking young man <laughs> telling jokes about stuff that they like. Well, what is he doing? It felt like high school in the worst possible sense. It was right. it was horrific. It was horrific. Yeah. <laughs> in those gigs, do you get paid before you go up? Because I would want to get paid before I uh, open yeah. my mouth in one in that kind of situation. No, I got the check cleared, so. Check clear, yeah. so it's a hit. It's a hit. It's yeah. a hit. It's success. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, it, it is interesting. I mean, the idea of of comedy just being uh, able to be presented in comedy clubs is old fashioned now. I mean, it, you know, the idea of pop up shows on Crashing the other night, they they which is a, a show about a, a stand up comic set in uh, New York, uh, they were doing comedy in a laundromat. You know, oh, yeah. like wherever. You know, it can happen wherever. Especially from what I've heard in, in cities like uh, New York and everything, and uh, Vancouver, it's um, mostly bars and lounges. But there yeah. are like some there's people that do like uh, you know like vape lounges and things like that, yeah. and that sort of thing. So yeah, that's also from a you know from a someone who owns a venue from their point of view, comedy is great because it's so easy to set up. You need a microphone, speakers, and yeah. a, an area for them to stand in, and that's it. And that's, that's all it. You need. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. And and gigs like that, you learn from them. Mm-hmm. You yes, learn from you, do. you learn from. I mean, whether it's even a, as simple as like I'm never playing in someone's living room again. <laughs> but Jim Jeffries has an amazing story about playing at some rich guy's, you know, lawn party mm-hmm. and how terribly it went for him. But so everyone at every level does these things. Oh yeah. Uh, but it's a much different. It, it, it's a different feel, and you, yeah. I, I would think you take a lesson away. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm I'm not above. You know, I, I'm definitely I am absolutely not above any gig. You know, it's like you got to test yourself and you have to, the best comics are always kind of testing themselves and performing in different venues and different styles. And so, um, I try to be, uh, I try to be open to, 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 to new opportunities in terms of things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that you, you have to push it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise oh, yeah. it gets comfortable. And I don't think as a stand up comedian that you should ever be all that comfortable. No, I mean, because a lot of, the, yeah, exactly. A lot of times the cards can be stacked against you. It's like you can, you know, it's one thing to go and do club spots where right. everything's geared for your success. And it's like, oh, I did really great there. But it's like, that's not, that not, that's not necessarily going to give you the survival instincts to yeah. survive in a, you know, in a bar, uh, you know, a uh, hundred kilometers out of town, right? So. You have to kind of be testing yourself in different scenarios. When we come back, we continue the conversation with Harris Anderson. The comedy album is called Above and Beyond. It's available from Vancouver independent record label 604 Records. Uh, When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about um, political correctness in comedy. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about Louis C.K. And do we feel that we should be welcoming him back into the fold? He's he's pulling in audiences, but whether or not, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people at large want to see him, who knows? Okay. I want to talk to a stand-up comedian about that, and I happen to have one sitting in front of me, Harris Anderson. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. Harris Anderson is my guest. The comedy album is called Above and Beyond. You can find it uh, from 604 Records. Go to their website. You can order a physical copy of it, or you can download it, and you will laugh and laugh uh, (laughs) from wherever you download comedy and music albums. Uh, Is anything and everything subject-wise fair game for comedy? I think so. I think it's, I mean, anything done in in the correct way, I, I believe, can be funny, uh, you know, we all have things that we're offended by, and you know, I'm I'm a human being, and there's certain jokes that that do offend me, but yeah. I, I don't think it's my uh, place to to tell an audience, you know, what they can and can't find funny. It's, I think the South Park guys, I, I, I they said, um, you know, either everything is funny or nothing is funny, right. and I think that's true. I think you know, yet everything has to be kind of, it's part of a coping mechanism. I think it's it's how. It's how we kind of cope with the the darker, more serious things in society. That being said, if you you know get up on stage and you you kind of are just trying to shock people mm-hmm. and are trying and are trying to offend people, I, I think that's that's not necessarily that's not an approach that I'm interested in. I, I I'm interested in kind of seeing if I can get something funny out of something dark or something or something like that. And you know. It's interesting because you have a single, mm-hmm. and and it's about your hometown, and yeah. and it starts off as kind of a I don't know I, like a John Cougar Mellencamp kind mm-hmm. of reminiscence about where you come from, mm-hmm. uh, and then it turns it, it takes a turn. Uh, yeah. What has the response been to the what's the song called? Hometown. It's called Hometown. I was thought it was mm-hmm. my hometown. It's a hometown. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the response been from? 
your hometown? Have you performed it in your hometown? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't really have anyone that I don't really. My family moved uh, moved away from there when I was just out of high school, right. so I don't really have any people that they're that they're going to come gunning for you. <laughs> they're yeah. going to coming from it. Yeah, exactly. You call them all crackheads or whatever <laughs> else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's um. <laughs> I so I haven't really had a response from people who live in that area, um, but um, I, I I was pleased with how it turned out. I think yeah. the, the label, the guys that shot it, they did a really great job on it. The video team at Six Hundred Four Records, I was I was very pleased with how it turned out. Yeah. And and it's a little darker though. Yes, that's what yeah. I mean. That's what I'm saying. Like you yeah. you you took something. I, I kind of like the way the song subverts the idea that we're all used to hearing Bruce Springsteen and mm-hmm. John Cougar Mellencamp, people like that, sort of mythologizing where they're from. Mm-hmm. And and it's, you you begin that way, and then it morphs into a more. I don't know, realistic or at least a heightened <laughs> realism yeah. about where you're from. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just it's a classic kind of like bait and switch thing, I think. It's like and um I like the the idea of the unreliable narrator. I think yeah, yeah. that's that's very appealing to me. And so we talk about outrageous material on stage or, or mm-hmm. material that's meant to shock on stage. Uh, and if it's just for shock value, it doesn't work. So it, I'm thinking of Louis C.K. now because I, I had seen him before the controversy. I had seen him perform any number of times. I hosted an event with him at Just for Laughs one time years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd seen him in everywhere from Massey Hall here in Toronto, which seats 25 or 100 or 3,000 people to uh, the Comedy Cellar where there was 100 of us watching him. I've seen him all and found him hilarious. Mm -hmm. The later stuff, the post-controversy stuff that he seems to be doing now doesn't to me seem to have the edge that his other stuff did. It has edge, but there's no substance behind it anymore. Now it kind of seems like he's just trying to shock an audience. Hmm. And before, it felt to me as though he would say something kind of outrageous and say, okay, here's why I think that. Right. And I'm not feeling that now from him. I think what's useful to remember is that, because the the set that was uh, leaked or whatever at uh, at Comedy Club... um, that I don't think I think it's useful to remember that it wasn't a finished set. That's right, because it was in process. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, it's it's that can be tricky. I I mean, I can imagine, especially with all, all eyes on you. It's like mm-hmm. I think when you're kind of figuring stuff out on stage. Like I've definitely done jokes, even a few years ago, that like every comic has, where they look back and be like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, like, I wish. I you, wish. I hope no one was recording that. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It's just part of the process. I think if you're not kind of, you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna happen. You're gonna have you're gonna make joke. It's a it's kind of like rehearsing. It's like kind of, you know, because that's what's the thing about comedy is every set is essentially that's not a a film special mm-hmm. is basically a rehearsal. And so you're basically watching someone rehearse and it's like kind of taking footage of an actor rehearsing for a play and right. being like, oh, I don't believe that's, that's not great acting. Or I don't know why they made that decision. So I, I, I'm inclined to give them a little leeway, a little leeway on that. Just, just based on the, the nature of, of working of material out. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I know that he uh, does that. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen him, uh, again, at the Comedy Cellar before the controversy. He used to stop by uh, with a notebook and just do a drop-by set. And he would try things. Some things worked. Some things didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw him there do a drop-by a couple of weeks before he hosted Saturday Night Live and did the now kind of infamous stuff about pedophiles and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And the audience was... 
mixed, mm-hmm. I think, on the raw form, mm-hmm. you know, in these jokes, in their raw form, yeah. was very mixed on it. I was kind of surprised by that, by the, the reaction to that Saturday Night Live monologue. I thought that, I mean, people seemed really outraged, but I I, I personally didn't see, see it as a huge deviation from the kind of material he'd been doing before. And, yeah. You know, it's like he, he, um... The logic of the jokes, I yeah. thought, stood up. Yeah. Do, <laughs> do you think that that there is a place for him somewhere? I mean, I don't think that he will ever play stadiums again. But do you think that audiences will will take him back? Oh Lord, that's a it's a hard one. It's right? a hard one. Yeah. Um, well, I think there will always be people who, um, you know, especially women that kind of feel. That just feel a certain way about him now. That Unsafe these things are in, yeah. and um, that's you know I I can't invalidate that. I, yep. I you know he's always gonna. I think he's always gonna be doing comedy. What what his comedy career will look like now is kind of is up in the air. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm speaking with Harris Anderson. Uh, his album is called Above and Beyond. It's a comedy album available from Six O Four Records. Um, are you the same guy on stage as off, or is there a is there a, a, a bigger sense of yourself? Are you plus you know ten percent when you're on stage? Um, I mean, I think I'm kind of a, a fairly quiet, reserved person off stage. Uh, you know, obviously there's certain people in my life, like my family yeah, and everything, yeah. where I kind of let my hair down a bit. But on stage, I feel, you know, I try to, I try to. I like the idea of performing comedy, like comedy is a performance art. So I do kind of try to like heighten everything when yeah. I when I go on stage. I just like that, you know. Um, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about it that much, Richard. Um, yeah, I, I'm probably not. No, I don't think I am because I've had friends. When I come to think of it, I've had friends who say like. I had no, I would have had no idea that you did comedy when I first met you. Right. Like, uh, you're not fun- <laughs> funny. Yeah, you're not funny. <laughs> <laughs> the first when I, when, when I was getting to know you, you were not funny at all. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, I always tell uh, people, um, I have a, a TV show, a talk show called Pop Life on CTV. And, and I always tell people that on that show, I am myself plus about 10%. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. I don't. I don't like really heightened. I think people relate to me better. It's just and this is just for me. If I'm just sort of me and a little bit more for TV. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, if a set's not going well, what do you do? You mentioned earlier someone drops a glass. Someone gets up to go to the bathroom and it throws everything off. What do you do? How do you try and get it back on track? I think that's a skill that that's actually kind of a weak spot for me. Uh, I, I, you know, I do kind of tend to stick to a game plan when I go on stage and I'm just kind of now getting comfortable with the idea of handling things in the moment and everything. I mean, when I first started, it would just be like, oh God, what do I do? You just like freeze up. Deer in the headlights. Exactly. Uh, Now I think you kind of, you kind of, if it's like big enough that everyone noticed or whatever, then you have to address it just because otherwise if you just steamroll right through it. Then people will say, "Oh, even though they know it's basically scripted, they're yeah. like, oh, this is scripted. <laughs> the kind of the illusion has been shattered. It's not just someone just talking. You yeah. know, this isn't all coming off the top of their head. Well, so. that, the the trick is to kind of make it feel like it's the first time that you've said any of this stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it has to have that kind of like spontaneity and, um, yeah, just going off that. I mean, lots of times, I think there's bits that." I've tried that work and then I, I come back to them later and then I try them again and they don't work and it's because they, they don't have the spontaneity of the first time. And are you a pen and paper guy when you write 
jokes or do you tend to work things out on stage? I tend to, what I usually do is I, I write about, you know, I'll write a bit that's about three pages long or whatever, I guess, and then I'll try it on stage and I'd probably 80 to 90% of it won't work. And right. then I'll sell, I'll go through the detritus and, <laughs> and I'll salvage the one bit that works and I'll say, okay, well, maybe I can go off in a different direction with this thing. And then you kind of build it like that. I mean, sometimes it's very disappointing and it just, if you like, if you write something and you think, oh, this is going to be really funny, if you have a really good feeling about this and just gets nothing and then some throwaway line that you thought was a nothing gets yeah, something. Yeah. So I'm still, I'm still, you know, very much just kind of, I think in the infancy of kind of trying my f- writing career. And figuring that out. Exactly. Figuring out what works and what doesn't. Yeah. 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 All right, we've got about a minute left. Why should people buy Above and Beyond, your comedy record that's available at 604 Records? Oh, my mom would be very happy. <laughs> that's good. I think she'd be <laughs> she'd be very proud. Um, you know, I think it's um I think it's kind of an interesting snapshot of a of a comic who's kind of like it's like finding his feet and kind of like try, starting to like kind of work his way around like the comedic process and everything. This, I think the songs on it are really are really good. And uh, I think that um, people will enjoy it. Buy it. It's called Above and Beyond. It's available from 604 Records. Uh, You can find it on the website if you want the the physical copy of it, or you can download it wherever you legally download music and comedy. (laughs) Uh, Guest in studio has been Harris Anderson. Uh, Can people see you across the country anywhere soon doing stand-up live? Uh, I'm doing a mini tour with some of my label mates um, of, of um, if anyone's listening and in, uh, in Alberta we'll mm-hmm. be in in, Cal- in Calgary and Edmonton coming up soon I can't remember exact dates uh, in BC I'll be in Victoria February 22nd and uh, you can go on the 604 uh, comedy here often is the name of their comedy division and you can look up all the dates and everything check your local listings for exactly. Harris Anderson thank you for being here my pleasure thank you Richard and thank you for listening and thanks to Robert Turner on the board talk to you again next week